This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing making people's lives better. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. We've seen countless depictions of this biblical enchantress, but they've never been 100% accurate. Now, that's all about to change. That's a clip from Biblical Forensics, Real Faces of the Bible. It's a four-part series that premieres tomorrow night on Vision TV. Today, producer Simcha Yakubovich will tell us how his team mixed archaeology with modern forensic technology to bring these biblical faces to life. Plus, we've been hearing more stories about horrific violence against women in the developing world. Journalist Sally Armstrong thinks that's a good thing. In her new book, Ascent of Women, she says, the fact that we are even hearing about crimes against women in places like India means we have come a long way. She'll join me a little later on. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. What's the most common regret of older Zoomers? According to Dr. Carl Palmer, it's worrying. In 2004, the Cornell University professor created the Legacy Project, an effort to collect advice and wisdom from America's oldest citizens. He's since asked over a 1,000 participants to reflect on the biggest regret of their life. And the overwhelming response was that they spent too much time worrying. A common explanation was that, Worrying won't solve anything and ends up being an enormous waste of time in a life that is too short and precious. Zoomers in Britain have certainly seen class distinctions change over their lifetime. It used to be simple with just three, the upper, middle, and working classes. Now, according to the BBC, there are seven classes, ranging from the super-rich elite class at the very top to the precariat, the poorest, most deprived class. The BBC Lab UK study measured economic capital, income, savings, house value, as well as social capital. 25% of the population is part of the established middle class, the largest demographic. And the oldest demographic? The BBC says it's the traditional working class with an average age of 66. What do Bruce Willis, Patrick Stewart, and Andre Agassi all have in common? They may be at higher risk of heart disease, according to the British online journal BMJ Open. That's because male baldness has been linked to an increased risk of heart disease, and the worse the hair loss, the higher the risk. The risk is associated only with male pattern baldness, the kind that starts at the top or back of the head and not with a receding hairline, according to researchers who reviewed six studies that included 37,000 participants. 
And finally this week, we said goodbye to Roger Ebert. He passed away Thursday at the age of 70 after a recurrence of cancer. For decades, the famous film critic wrote for the Chicago Sun-Times, and he was the first person to win a Pulitzer Prize for film reviews. He was the co-host of Siskel and Ebert at the Movies, a show that made films succeed or fail with the famous thumbs up or thumbs down. Ebert is credited with putting the Toronto International Film Festival on the map with his ardent support of the event. He continued to work even after he lost his voice and much of his face to thyroid cancer. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. This face represents the accurate blend of art and science. This is how a woman like Delilah would have looked. That's a clip from Biblical Forensics, Real Faces of the Bible. It's a marriage of archaeology and modern forensic science. With unprecedented access to four skulls from biblical times, the team worked to accurately reconstruct the faces of those real people, starting with a Philistine woman who lived at the time of the legendary temptress Delilah, about 1200 B.C. I reached producer Simcha Yakubovich in Ra'anana, Israel. People who lived thousands of years ago in Israel and the Holy Land during biblical times, no one's ever reconstructed their faces. And we've done that for the first time. We found the skull of a Philistine woman, and we brought her back to life so that we see her face. So Delilah, one of the most famous women in, you know, uh, in history, the, the hottie of the Bible, we have a Philistine woman for the first time that lived in Delilah's time brought to life. A man who lived in Jesus' time in the Galilee, his skull had been found. No one had done forensic reconstruction on him. We now have put flesh to bone, and you can come face to face and look at someone who probably knew Jesus, maybe heard the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, so how is it that you got permission to do this because it wasn't done because of a religious prohibition? There is an Orthodox, Jewish Orthodox activist who say you're not allowed to disturb the dead. But in the old days, if you wanted to put flesh to bone, you literally had to manipulate the actual skull. I was able to convince people that with new technology, you don't have to do that. In a sense, you can reconstruct the actual face without disturbing the dead person. And the way you do that is you do a one-time CAT scan, and after you do that, you can do the fixing in a computer. Let's say a piece of the skull is missing. You can then do this amazing thing called 3D printing, where you really have a chalk 3D skull emerge, like a, like a little sculpture, based on your CT scan. And then you can work on that skull, which is a perfect replica of the dead person, but is not the dead person, in classic police investigative ways. In the series, you go about the process of, of reconstructing them two different ways, as you said, one manually, by hand, sculpting them, and uh, the other digitally. Uh, now, why did you do it that way? Well, you know, we thought it would be interesting to, to see both uh, processes happen because then the viewer can really compare and see to what degree they agree uh, and to what degree they, they uh, diverge. It actually brings drama to the whole process because if you're watching these two things going on, you're going, wow, that's the same. Wait a minute, that's a little different. It brings drama to the storytelling. 
So in the first episode, um, it's almost like a conceit that this woman could be Delilah, but there's no evidence of that, right? Basically, you know, we can't prove this is Delilah, obviously, uh, but this is as close as you're going to get to Delilah. You're going to see a woman, a Philistine woman from Delilah's time. You think of Delilah as a modern-day model, you know, a cover girl. You don't think of her as a stately Aegean lady. So, you know, like, it's really interesting to suddenly get rid of the stereotype and actually look at someone who really lived and really was part of Delilah's culture. It's now ready for forensic artist Victoria Lywood. Police investigators employ Lywood when they're unable to identify skeletal remains. You worked sculpting uh, the face of this person. What are the advantages of doing it your way, I guess, the old-fashioned way? The interesting part about this was is that uh, Greg Mahoney, who was the computer artist on this, he and I both did the same face. Neither one of us checked each other's work. Technically, if we all do the same thing properly and follow all the same rules, we should have a likeness come about even if we don't look at each other's work. That's what we were heading, looking at. So that worked out to a, a very good degree as far as that was concerned with this. I found the two results different. We go on a feature-by-feature feature basis on the measurements, uh, how far should the eyes be out from the, uh, the eye socket, how deep should they be, how wide is the nose. There's all measurements for all of this. And technically, if you follow these standards, you should get some kind of a likeness. Now, this also is, uh, it depends on who's looking at them. There are other people that have looked at them and have said that they're, you know, they do see the similarities. They do see that. They're never going to be exactly the same. I, I just wanted to add one thing, um, listening to Victoria. It gives me a, a way into the humanity of these people. It's interesting. I always looked not so much, do they look the same, which one looks better, but which one looks human. As a viewer, looking through time and space and seeing someone who lived thousands of years ago, I find that the manual way, the clay way, I connected more with their, their humanity. It sounds fascinating. Simcha Yakubovich and Victoria Lywood, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. You can catch the first episode of Biblical Forensics, Real Faces of the Bible, tomorrow night, Monday, April 8th at 9 o'clock on Vision TV. I'm Libby Zneimer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. A girl shot in the head for going to school. A young woman raped to death. Despite horrific stories like these, my next guest believes women are making a new revolution. In just a moment, I'll be joined by journalist and author Sally Armstrong. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. She's been on the front lines in Bosnia, Afghanistan, Africa, and the Middle East, covering the plight of women and girls in conflict zones. Sally Armstrong has been dubbed the war correspondent for the world's women. But despite the horrific events she's witnessed, she believes dramatic change is underway and women are making the change happen. She dropped by the studio to talk about her new book, The Ascent of Women. Sally, why did you write The Ascent of Women now? Because, and I'm so delighted to tell you this, something has happened. I've been covering conflict as a journalist for 25 years, and I always cover it from the point of view of what happens to women and girls. Around three, three, four years ago, I started to think something's changing. And I started to look at it in terms of 
where oppression was going and where emancipation was going. And I did more research, and indeed, the earth is shifting. Emancipation is in, oppression is out. Doesn't mean the trouble is going to stop tomorrow, but women are definitely reaching a tipping point. I find it um, lovely that you are so optimistic, but your optimism comes amidst some of the most horrific stories of abuse of women, especially in the less developed world. We have Malala, the schoolgirl, shot for going to school. We have that horrible, horrible gang rape in India. Countless examples of stories like that. It's a perfect example you raise, Libby, because... Malala's story would never have made it to the newspaper two years ago. It would never even have made it to the local papers because they would have said, she's a girl, who cares? And then if it made it anywhere, they would have said, well, they told her not to go to school. And she asked for this. It not only made it on the front page of every newspaper in the world, we won't let it go. As for Jyoti Pandey in India, that disgraceful, awful, raping a girl to death... That act has ripped off 50 years of secrecy in India. Now people are talking. You and I know if you can't talk about it, you can't change it. Now they're talking. So I think both Malala and Jyoti Pendi are, are very good examples of the change that's happening. But it's a lot more than that. It's also the economy. That's where the big shift is. A couple of years ago, Jeffrey Sachs, the Millennium Goals economist, remember him, he said the status of women and the economy are directly related. Where one's flourishing, so is the other. Where one's in the ditch, so is the other. Now, I dare say grade 10 students in Toronto could have told you that. But when Jeffrey Sachs says it, it gets traction. And now, I mean, people can't jump on this bandwagon fast enough. And they have terrific evidence to show uh, the difference this can make to the economy. I'll give you an example. The majority of farmers in Asia and Africa are women. The women have poorer tools, far less quality seeds, and not enough fertilizer. If you were to give them better seeds, better tools, and more fertilizer, they claim you would feed 157 million more people. What about in places like Afghanistan where, you know, a woman can barely leave the house, let alone work? It's the women who can yank this primitive place into the 21st century. Now, I was just there a few months ago doing a story on this new group called Young Women for Change. They blew me away. Here they are. They said to me, 67% of the population of Afghanistan is under the age of 30. We never started a war. We never fought a war. We hate these old customs and we want change. And they said, we have the tools to do it. Facebook, Twitter, blogging, etc. But I said... The fundamentalists must be coming after you because you so much as whisper change in Afghanistan. They accuse you of trying to westernize. And these kids talk right back to them. They say, you think girls' education is Western? You think treating people decently is Western? You think human rights are Western? If that's Western, what's Eastern? Imagine. You also talk a lot about rape and sexual abuse as a weapon of war, basically. What happened in Bosnia is horrific women rape repeatedly and in the Congo now. But look look at that story. There's a perfect example. I did that story. I got more and more information from very credible people. I brought it all back because I was in the magazine business. I could rush this headline story to press in about three months. And I gave it to a news agency here in Toronto. Seven weeks later, I phoned him back and I said, 
whatever happened to the story? He said, oh, you know, I was busy, and, you know, I was on deadline, and, you know, I forgot. I said, 20,000 women were gang raped, some of them 8 years old, some of them 80 years old, and you forgot. And that's the day I decided I would make these my stories. So in those days, nobody wanted to do them. Today, Malala, Jyotipendi, uh, Sahar Gul in Afghanistan, you can't get them out of the news. Where do we go from here, and why are you so hopeful? Well, first of all, I think the biggest changes have happened. The women are talking, and the women are going to school. And now they're asking questions they never asked before. Where do older women, baby boomer women, fit into all of this? You know what, Libby? They started it. Look at the women who read your magazine. Look at the grandmother-to-grandmother action for Stephen Lewis. These are the baby boomers, now called the Zoomers, who they started it, and they never let it go. Okay, on that note, I think we'll wrap things up. Sally Armstrong, thanks for being here. Thanks, Libby. Ascent of Women is published by Random House Canada. I'm Libby Zneimer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. I've got my love to keep me warm. Today marks the 98th anniversary of the birth of one of the world's best voices. In just a moment, we'll be back to remember Billie Holiday. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. It's time for your international arts datebook tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown. In New York City, Academy Award-winning actor Tom Hanks stars in Nora Ephron's play Lucky Guy. It's more fun than fun should be. It's hard work. You know, you don't take that lightly. Uh, it requires, a, you know, a certain amount of stamina. Lucky Guy is on stage at the Broadhurst Theater on West 44th Street. In Los Angeles, The Happy Show is an exhibition at the Museum of Contemporary Art, which has been garnering a lot of attention. It's centered around the work of graphic designer Stefan Sagmeister and his 10-year exploration of happiness. And in Copenhagen, take a tour of 500 years of European art in a new display at the National Gallery of Denmark. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Datebook. Today marks the 98th anniversary of the birth of Eleonora Harris, better known by her stage name, Billie Holiday. Tragically, she passed away when she was just 44 years old after years of struggling with drugs and alcohol abuse. Billie Holiday is regarded as one of the most powerful singers of the 20th century. Early in her career, she performed with big-name band leaders, Benny Goodman, Duke Ellington, Count Basie, and Artie Shaw. She broke out as a solo artist in the early 1940s and recorded hits like Strange Fruit, Fine and Mellow, Embraceable You, and Pennies from Heaven. Right now, we'll hear one of the few songs Billie Holiday wrote herself. It's been inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame and is also on the Songs of the Century list presented by the Recording Industry Association of America and the National Endowment for the Arts. Here is God Bless the Child. Them that's got shall get, them that's not shall lose. So the Bible says, But God bless the child that's got his own 
that's got his own. Yes, the strong gets more while the weak ones fade. Empty pockets don't ever make the grave. Mama may have, Papa may have, but God bless the child that's got his own, that's got his own. Billie Holiday singing God Bless the Child, a song she co-wrote with Arthur Herzog Jr. Today marks the 98th anniversary of her birth. And that brings us to the end of another edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Next week, we go behind the scenes at Downton Abbey as the blockbuster's third season begins. We'll see you then. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Snyder. Produced by Paul Thomas. Program director, John Vandriel. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review. Heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network. Home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.